Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we, year by year, explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, Rod. I'm joined by... Other host. What's your name? Jess. Yeah! <laughs> and uh, here we are, 1988. We're going to be talking about music today. Why'd you ask my name? You don't know my name? Oh. Hello, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> no! Amnesia! So, if you're new to the show, here's the rundown. We, um... As a little bit of a couples exercise a few years back, decided to look at every music album released in a, in a given year. So let's say 1988, this year. Uh, we looked at every single music album released that year and decided which one each of us had listened to the absolute most. Mm. And we listened to them together because we figured that would be fun to do. Well, he says we, but he uses it in the, like, royal we sense. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of fun. I mean, it was interesting. You get to see the kind of media that made us. Get it? That's the name of the show. <laughs> that's the tagline. Yeah. Wait, no, that's the title. Do we have a tagline? Uh, invading your life. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like that's in that this show is basically just an examination of my album from 1988 and just his album from 1988 and decide, uh, you know, who did it better. <laughs> yeah, that should be our tagline. If not who did it better, just Jessica wins. No. <laughs> Not this week. Uh, Tell you that. Oh, okay, fair. <laughs> yeah. So again, we we have gone through a list of every music album from 1988. Um, it was a magical year. The late 80s was quite quite a time. Quite a time. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> and we talked about it in 1987 music. Uh, the world was getting a little uh, jaded. You know, a, a little cynical, a little violent. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Michael Jackson, just gone bad. <laughs> That's right. I might get a little violent because he said that I couldn't have snacks because you guys didn't want to hear me crunch it on some chips. No no one wants to hear that in their ear. It's crunch, crunch, crunch. You could edit it out. Uh, no, not, painstakingly. Not, yeah, no. That's too much work for me. <laughs> but now I'm hungry. Was a cookie, is a cookie going to make a crunch? Yes. Dang it. Um, so yeah, then, um, here we are, 1988. Hey. <laughs> I guess we're just going to jump right in and yeah, uh, talk both about- feet. Yep, we're going to start with Jess's album of 1988. Oh, we're going to start with mine. Okay. All right, released October 18th, 1988. One of the biggest R&B albums released that year. I have no other grandiose facts about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's Giving You the Best That I Got by Anita Baker. Hey. Ooh. Ooh. A little loud. Very very 80s sound, right? Just right off the bat. That that sounds like the 80s. Yeah. These are on backwards. (laughs) So yeah, this is Anita Baker. Um, this is a, a Anita who bakes. Yeah, she's gonna start singing here in a second. When you ask me Soulful. Singing uh, from that deep place in a diaphragm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you gotta t- you gotta tell the story of why Anita Baker's album is your album of the year because I love this story. <laughs> well, well, first we should preface and say you. Are not really one to, like, have favorites from before you were born. Yes. Or even in the the, the years that I was yeah. born. Yeah, like, you, you didn't, like, you didn't pick up albums. It was just more like... Honestly... The, the albums that you listened to from, 19, you know, the 1980s are just ones that you just happened to stumble upon or heard on the radio. Also kind of the early 1990s. That too. I, like, you guys aren't going to see my music taste until the 2000s (laughs) maybe even the mid 2000s but um Nita Baker is my winner if you can call it that of this year specifically because a couple of years ago um when there was a big (laughs) 
uh, comeback of vinyl. The hipstering. The hipstering. I am unapologetically a hipster. I don't even care. Yes. Yes, Uh I am. uh I love it. Um, I got a record player. One of the... The the portable ones that I'm not going to name because we're not being sponsored. <laughs> Comes a little briefcase. <laughs> and uh, I got it, one, because, yeah, it was cool. It was a little bit of a craze. But mostly, I say this as my saving grace, because I wanted to spend some time with my mom doing things that like she liked to do rather than watch Law & Order because dun, Law & & Order. <laughs> I love you, Mom. Mayma, you're my favorite. <laughs> and um, so I went to a record shop at used record store. a used record store um a little bit away from us that like has new records but also has old ones that are like two dollars a pop depending on what it is mm-hmm. and i just got a whole slew of stuff that i was like ah this seems like it's in my mom's wheelhouse so i could take my portable uh record player over to her place and we could just chill and listen to some music together and talk about the good old days when she was young single and free and didn't have children mm. tying her down <laughs> so you literally just grabbed records off the off the shelf that said hey that looks like something my mom would like yes i don't know what it is i've never heard this but this sounds like something my mom would like exactly and that is why anita baker um giving you the best that i got is my album of the year because so- by default, I have listened to every song on the album. You had never heard of an you had never heard of Anita Baker before buying that record. Okay, so here's the thing, right? Like, I'm sure I've heard Anita Baker songs that were not on this album. But if I don't care about an artist, like, oh, that's a nice song, I don't learn who's singing it. Like, no offense, you guys artists out there, you work really hard and it's wonderful, and I love listening to you. But you gotta really impress me to learn your name. Mm. <laughs> And, and, but 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 Anita, mm, I need a break. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, yeah. So I can I can say with with absolute certainty, I'd never heard an Anita Baker song before <laughs> this whole project started. <laughs> it is, but you know, I gotta say, it has a very eighty sound as you hear now, right? And it's it's very cozy. Yeah, right? it's not a bad album, right? So when we we went and re we re listened to it. In preparation for the show. Because and like, we couldn't remember a single melody. Yeah. But the idea was, hey, we're going to, you know, I was like, hey, we're going to make the most of it. I know what kind of music it is. I'm going to sit down. I poured myself a glass of wine <laughs> and I'm drinking it out of a fancy glass. Right, I'm, I'm drinking it right now. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> I'm eating some fake chips. <laughs> no, no. Um, and, and, you know, this is, this is like the perfect, like, either, you know how did you describe it it's like this is the the type of music you listen to in a waiting room or just like it's just background music it's just it's just like i'm i'm sitting at home doing i called it no it's not cleaning day music no it's not no. it's definitely not like it's lazy day music. it's lazy day it's like you're not doing anything you don't even really want to start singing a lot so you just put something on so chill these are positives you had said that this is the type of music that your mom and aunts would put on yeah, at the end of a party, like right at like at like as the party is winding down, right? The, the, yeah, the family party is winding down. You know, they've all poured themselves some wine coolers or whatever. It was. Wine coolers? I don't know. Have you been to one of my family so events? They're having some wine <laughs> and they're enjoying each other's companies, but the, you know, this needs some background music. Yeah, yeah. This is this is uh, I said two bottles deep music. This is this is two bottles deep music yeah. where you're just like, yeah, that's that. You're right. Yeah. So it's either that, or I would say this is like 
early early in the morning you've just poured yourself a cup of coffee and you're listening you're either like reading you know the, the newspaper or a magazine or something right uh, sure i i think so okay yeah it's it, Cozy's the best word to describe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think, like, it's a wake-up. I think it's a wind-down. I, I it's, it's It could be a little... Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fine. If that's what you're, you um think of it, if that's how you vibe it, that's like... I could not imagine, like, waking up and this is coffee music. It's, mm. it's jazzy. It's just very, like... It's chill. Jazzy is alcohol. <laughs> In my brain. Okay. Now, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, oh, yeah, that vibe is get me some alcohol. Fair enough. Okay. Which is why you have alcohol. I'm drinking coffee right now, though. Yeah, I mean, that, tea, milk tea. There you go. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna dig a little bit into the uh, the uh, the Anita Baker's history. You All know? right, like I, it, it's interesting. Digging up. Yeah, it's it's Anita. not quite as like it's not a rail, you know, it's not a roller coaster like like Guns N' Roses, for example. Mm. But uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Okay. So Anita Baker. on me, Daddy O. Anita Baker, born January 26, 1958, began singing R&B in Detroit City nightclubs at the age of 16. Detroit. Detroit. Detroit? Detroit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> after a successful audition, she auditioned for, or she joined a soul group called Chapter 8 oh. in, uh, in 1975 as a lead singer. Oh, cool. Never, never heard of cha- uh, Chapter 8? Me neither, but that's a pretty fly name. Yeah. Uh, Chapter 8 released one EP in 1979 before being dropped by their record label. Areola Records. Rude Areola. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, no, okay, so it was actually, so Areola Records was bought out by Arista Records in that year, and Arista Records dropped Chapter 8 because Baker, quote, did not have the potential to be a star in their eyes. I love you, Anita. Don't let anyone step on your dreams. <laughs> so Anita was like, well, that sucks. That's, that's she real upsetting. discouraged. She worked odd jobs until 1982. When she was approached by a former Ariola associate to start a solo career at the newly formed Beverly Glen Music Label. Okay. Yeah. So, like, a good friend of hers from the music industry is like, come on back. Can I just say how... Ugh, that's so upsetting. It's, just like, it sucks. Not just like, hey, I made it, and I'm in a band, and we put out an EP, and my new bosses say, I don't have what it takes to be a star. Yep, so I'm just a background singer, a lounge singer. I guess I'll go do that. Well, I mean, and she, then, she quit music altogether yeah. for those years. Like, she, she was like, I'm going to work as a waitress and a... That's so yeah, sucky. Yep. Don't give up on your dreams, kids. Yeah, or, don't. And, you know, unless your dreams is to, like, develop equipment to make ducks talk. In which case, don't, <laughs> don't. Affleck. Birds are terrifying. We don't need to know well, what's on their mind. We just watched uh, Roger Rabbit from movies of 1988. Uh, we, know what ducks, we know what ducks sound like when they talk. <laughs> they all have speech impediments. Wisecrackers. <laughs> so, Anita uh, released her debut album, The Songstress. Um, it was a modest success, um, and so she recorded a follow-up Rapture in 1986. So that was her breakout, her, her breakthrough album. Nice. Ra- Rapture sold over 8 million copies worldwide and earned two Grammy Awards. Oh, good yep. job, Anita. And after two years of touring, after two years of touring, Baker returned to the studio re- to record her follow-up. So this is, this is kind of like her, ba- her bad. Yeah. Her Michael ah. Jackson's bad. This is her sophomore, not her sophomore album, but like her follow-up to the big album, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I, that's just... Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I, I, as, as to be going, like, comparing it to Michael Jackson's bad, it's like Anita soft. <laughs> Anita Baker soft to Michael Jackson's bad. Anita Baker you- worse. <laughs> that was a, that's a weird owl joke. His, his 
parody album for bad is even worse. <laughs> Love Weird Al. Um, yeah, that's it. Like, not a whole lot of drama. Uh, it, it, Arista Records, uh, they can go to hell. <laughs> they were very rude to our girl. Yeah. No matter what I said at the beginning of this episode, don't be rude. Uh, but yeah, I guess we could just jump into the album. Um, oh, I'm about to be rude. <laughs> yeah, so what we do is we can't, we're not going to listen to the whole album together here on the show. We've picked four songs, a nice little sampling of everything that the album has to offer, and we're just going to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, we opened with it a little bit, but we're going to talk about this one more in depth. The opening track to the album is called Priceless. Let's hear that opening riff again. Mm. It's the strongest opening in the whole album. Yeah. So before we jump into the lyrics or anything like that, I need to talk about the genre of music that Anita Anita Baker operates in. Okay. okay? I have never heard of this before, but she, her, like, her genre of R&B is called Quiet Storm. You ever heard that before? Yes. <laughs> you you want to give a, an explanation on Quiet no, Storm based on yours? No, I want to see what yours? you have. <laughs> okay, I, I, I looked it up on Wikipedia. I did a little research here. Okay, named after Smokey Robinson's 1975 album of the same name, mm-hmm. Quiet Storm is characterized by songs that, quote, devoid of any significant political commentary that maintained a strict aesthetic and narrative distance from re- issues relating to black urban life. It's just like, it's just like black music without the black. <laughs> How do I correct that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, yeah, mm-mm. Mm. It's like inoffensive black music. <laughs> yeah, it's music by black people without referencing black life. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's just, it's just inoffensive. I think yes. it's the best way to put it. It's just like not challenging. It's just like, this is like, I don't come up music or, or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. come down, whatever. It's just like emotion that'll put you in a mood, but not challenge you at all. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would, yeah, I would, that's like my, um, my definition of it because you would have like sections on like radio shows where it's like deep voice DJ and now welcome back. We're going to play some, like, like I have vivid memories of that mess. Yes. (laughs) Um, so I think like, I, I think like quiet storm kind of, um, exemplifies is not the word I want to use, but like what it's supposed to be is supposed to be like, music that has a a a mood that puts you in like a not a deep space but like a quiet place obviously where you're just like "Mm," and you're grooving but it's not like necessarily yeah so it's like almost like a a palate cleanser i can hear that yeah yeah. so that like where it's just kind of there's a lot going on let me just (laughs) de-escalate right um and then I, i i did there's another quality of quiet storm that i identified here um music journalist jason wright wrote Quote, sensuous and pensive, Quiet Storm is seductive R&B, marked by jazz flourishes, smooth groove, and tasteful lyrics about intimate subjects. So, all of that put together, I would say that Quiet Storm is sexy music. Yeah! Like, that's... You look at the song titles from this album, it's... There's a very common theme. (laughs) You've got things like, lead me into love, good love, you belong to me... You know, uh, giving you the best that I got. Her, she has a song called "Good Love." Her previous album had a, had a song called "Sweet Love." <laughs> it's just a lot of love. Just a lot of love. Agape love. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. That, that's Quiet Storm for you. All right. Uh, lyrically, you have any any insights about uh, Priceless? 
I wrote down a couple of things. Literally two things. Okay. <laughs> um, I think, okay, so uh, if you've been on previous uh, episodes of our music episodes, you know that I like, like, this This particular episode is going to have a lot more, well, let's see, I wrote down a lot of different things about the lyrics, let's see if I actually talk about them for all of them, um, but, but some, like, really, okay, so Priceless opens up with, um, a line that says, when you ask me how I feel about you, I try to find the words the best describe you. Uh, and I just, so, in my defense, I was tired when I was going back through these the last time. And I just wrote couple couples exercise. Go. Okay. Hey, hey, I'm asking you, Rodney. How uh-huh. do you, when, when I'm, I, when I'm asking you how, <laughs> why, hold on. When you ask me how I feel about you, I try to find the words best describe. How do you feel about me? Describe, uh, choose the words that describe me. Go. You've got hair. Oh. <laughs> Oh dear. Your hair reminds me of that one safe place where I can go and hide. <laughs> That's a the Guns N' Roses lyric. Get out. <laughs> Leave this place. Hi, kids. I will eyes. be doing this by myself for the rest of this time. You've got eyes of the blue at skies? <laughs> My eyes are not blue, and we are going to have some fights. Who has blue eyes? I know it's just from yeah, last I know. I, I'm a sweet child of mine. Sweet. Um, well, the thing I like about this song is I would have said that this is, um, if, if I was teaching like children about similes and metaphors in like a class, or mm-hmm. if I was like a, a fifth grade teacher or something, I would use this song because there's so many similes in it. You know, it's like, you are like a precious jewel. So valuable, baby. <laughs> Think it shines so bright, lighting up my life with pure delight. <laughs> you are so priceless to me. You're like the first rainbow in spring. Rainbow. Let me, let me go back to the chorus here so we can listen to this. Yeah, we're we're deeping. We're deeping. We're, we're bopping to it. We are bopping. We're to immediately it. like you can't not. I mean, if you're sitting there and you're not doing it, challenge. But like as soon as this came on, I'm like. Just yeah, moving. She was like, you're the first rainbow in spring. You know, I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I think the, um, I think the song is really interesting. There's like a lyric at the end of the first chorus, I think that says, I envision you and me in love together, getting closer as we share each day together. And that line, I was like, wait, envision? <laughs> Are you guys not together? I think this whole song is just like, you're priceless. We're not together, but I stare at you a lot. And I like, like you. And I think we can painting, be together. She's painting the picture of the perfect man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe. Well, I mean, so there's like... No, because she's like addressing someone. Yeah. I was going to say, there's an old romantic trope, right? Like, I'm talking like like Middle Ages romance, yeah. right? Like, it's about the deferred love, right? Mm-hmm. Where expression of love is less about being intimate physically and more about you, like, being apart from somebody and, like, fantasizing about being with them, you know, projecting mm-hmm. all of your feelings onto this person that's farther away, that's more important. That's even more important than the physical intimacy. There is a Taylor Swift song that is just that. I, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a song where she, the whole thing is her, she wrote it imagining, like, there was a per like, I guess there was, like, a star or whatever that, like, she was young and she was just like, I wonder what it'd be like to be with him. And she wrote a whole song whole song because she's talented like that i'm like yeah use your imagination if i could write it isn't hayler hayler delilah also like that yeah i think so i don't know either way they're carrying the the old school romance yeah 
It's a form of art. It's an art form. Anita Baker passing the baton off. Yeah. So, um, which I just, yeah. So I, I just find that like, fun like a fun little thing because it's it's about some some saying something is priceless but like not having it or yeah. not even being in a place to grasp it which i think is it's romantic and it's nice it's, it's, the song itself is whatever it's fine yeah. it's fine <laughs> you want to move on i'm sure all right so we're gonna move on to the uh the title track the third song on the album it's called giving you the best that i got let's listen to a little bit of that nice crooning she is crooning she's got quite that like and i'm okay with it but there's just a lot of crooning in this album yeah i was uh looking up some facts about the writing of the song apparently so it was written by songwriter skip scarborough yes do you know who that is no i just had something to say about this what do you singer. got Oh, no, no, no. It's lyrically. So give okay. me your history. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, he had offered this song to various singers without success. So it was like Anita was like the, like, you know, the last of a long line of people he tried to write this song for. Yeah. And she took it. I mean, like, that's not Like, yeah. yo, keep, just like Anita, right? Keep hustling. You got a song you want out there? And, uh, oh, going back to the beginning of the, like, the, the part right before she starts crooning. This part. This part of my ooh, right? Anita added that, apparently. Ah. It was her idea to do the scats at the beginning at the end. Huh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, lyrically. Yeah, so lyrically, I was, like, looking at this a lot uh, a lot more, like, breaking it down a little bit more like poetry. Well, I did that more with our, your album. But um, just some things that I was just like, oh, like, ah. I like the song lyrically more than I like it musically. Sure. Um, because there, it says some stuff where I'm like, oh, that's that's nice, right? Like right at the beginning of the first verse, um, it says, when I think my peace of mind is out of reach, the scales are sometimes unbalanced and, you're, and you bear the weight of all that has to be. I hope you see that you can lean on me and together we can calm this, a stormy sea, which I just like a good just just about partnership in a uh, a relationship mm-hmm. and i just really appreciated that because i think a lot of these especially coming off of priceless which is like the imaginary like oh you're so perfect and you're so beautiful and you shine like a diamond um and this being like yo sometimes my self-confidence and my self-worth are not where they need to be and you're there to help me balance the scales i hope you know that i'm there for you as well and i just thought it was like a really important line uh, like just it's just it says like the song says more than the last one. It's about partnership. Yeah, it's about partnership, which is why. Um, uh, and also, there's a, another part. In it. Everybody's got opinions uh, about the way they think our story is going to end. Some folks just feel uh, some folks feel it's just a superficial thrill. And at first, because we had talked about um, the space in which Anita put this album out, she got mm-hmm. married this year. I was gonna okay, you, you took it from. <laughs> So I there's this I wrote one stanza down to my notes right it says we love we love so strong and so unselfishly and I made a vow so I tell you now I'm giving you the best that I got baby I bet everything on my wedding ring 
I'm giving you the best that I got. And I was like, wedding ring? Well, that's interesting. So I looked up. Anita Baker got married in December of 1988. Mm. Christmas Eve, 1988. So she wrote this album while being fianced. <laughs> she was all fianced. Yeah. So she, you know, this is this is basically her engagement album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's what that's what I was thinking because I was just like, okay. And her their, her marriage lasted a while. It ended in two thousand five or something yep, yep. like so that. Yeah, so she married Walter Bridgeford Jr. nineteen eighty eight. The couple separated in two thousand five. Finalized their divorce two years later. So yeah, she so, gave she gave the best that she got. Yeah, for a I, time. Which yeah, so <laughs> so that's why the line really stood out to me. And that's why I also was like. Did she write this or did someone else write this? <laughs> because, like, no. Like, right, because they it, did. It, it, she did, did. Say, it did. The notes say that she did change a few things from the original. So oh, maybe okay. she added that. I don't okay. know. Okay. Well, great. Because I, I was just thinking about how, um, maybe, just like these, these notes, right? Like, the, of, um, People think that this is superficial. She also says, uh, they didn't, bo- they don't bother me. So I'm going to keep on giving you the best that I got. And, um, and things like that. I was just kind of like, oh yeah, I really like those, those annotations of like, it makes it more personal and just kind of like people look at a relationship and feel like it's not going to last or it's not real. They have their opinions, but they, those are their, right. <laughs> that, I wrote that. I was like, well, technically you're right, but you had like a 20 plus year marriage. So I can't math. No, no, less than 20. Well, less than 20, you had an almost 20 year marriage. Yeah. So I'm like, you, you did it and it wasn't superficial. Cause that, I don't, I don't think a 20 year marriage is superficial. Like, right. Okay. So, um, and just this kind of idea that like, Hey, it's about you and me, right? Like going back on the, like, this is uh, a marriage is about, or our relationship relationship is about partnership and about balancing each other out and then saying like, and everybody else is going to have their reasons as to like why I shouldn't or why I can't like, there's. No, we were going to address that album in a couple of years. But um, just this kind of thing where you, you're making the decision inside, like, inside your unit. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, like, that's why I was breaking it down. I think these lines, this is why I prefer the song lyrically because it says more. And even uh, one of the lines is, and I feel as if my home is in your arms. Fears are all gone. Like, I like the sound of your song. And just like, it's so person and almost it almost sounds like that part because i don't know if her husband was a singer was something that like he added you know like when she asked like hey what do you feel about me which was at the beginning of priceless yeah um hey babe um do my arms feel like home yes are your fears all gone yeah i like the sound of your song (laughs) i legit thought you're gonna go what's going on hey hey what's going on Um, okay, so I was talking about uh, partnership and how all the lines, it felt like personal, um, how this almost sounds like she added. Yeah, yeah, his- so I was going to say, it's like either Scarborough came to her with this song and she saw all these references to getting married and she was like, you know, in the, the just the, the anticipation of marriage, so she decides, yeah, that's the perfect song for me. Or she took this sappy love song and actually inserted more of her own feelings about getting married into it. Hmm. So that's fair. She made it the titch- the title. Yeah. So it worked for her. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it worked for her even past 1988. Uh, this song was Baker's highest charting hit on the Billboard 100. It peaked at number three in 1988. So that's not just the R and B charts. That's like all oh wow the, yeah the all the songs golf clap. Yep yep. Um, it spent two weeks at number one on the Billboard R and B chart in November 98 or sorry November 88. And spent one week atop the Billboard Adult Contemporary Charts in December 88, just in time for her wedding. Hmm. 
Nice. Um, <laughs> here's an interesting factoid that I found. Michael Jordan would often sing the song to his opponents as a way of trash talking. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine him like dribbling past like. Uh, oh, who, who was he? Who, who would have been his contemporary? Magic. Yeah. Maybe Magic Johnson or. Uh, Charles Barkley, you know, uh, he's like dunking on Charles Barkley. I'm giving you the best that I got. <laughs> oh gosh, that's so beautiful. I need somebody to make a freaking animatic so that I just need I just need somebody I, to I like sh- I should have looked it up to see if you can hear you can actually hear him do that. Oh gosh. That's, that's hilarious. So yeah. Uh, MJ, we love you. You're the true bad. <laughs> true bad. <laughs> next song? Uh Aras? Yeah. Alright, so the next song we're going to look at is called Just Because. We're going to look at this one shortly. I uh, I have more to say about this oh, than you I do? the other one, but really? we'll see how long it goes. Okay, well I want to talk about this one because I think musically it's one of the stronger songs on the album. One, it sounds so 80s. This song is so 80s. <laughs> You're so cute. Right? I don't know. So... I don't know. Apparently, I don't listen to 80s music. Like, like okay, so there's a lot of things that I could say this song is fitting for. But um, I was like, you listen to this. More crooning? I said, this sounds like something you would hear at a school dance. Dang. Like a slow dance. Oh. You would hear it. In, this would be a song that they would play on a sitcom uh, clip show, right? Like Bo- Cosby show, like, you know, maybe the third episode from the, the season finale at there, you know, and they want to do like a, a clip show. So they find a bunch of clips of like, what's Bill Cosby's character? He's he and his Huxable. wife, and uh, you know it's just like clips of them being romantic together or something, and it's just like all of these, you know, clips mashed together to this song. I mean, yeah, I, I mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or with with the wedding theme, this sounds like a wedding reception song. Yeah, hundred percent. First dance, hundred percent. Like all of the couples come up on dance on the dance floor. That's yeah. totally what this is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I'm sure, it was used for a number of those. Yep, and I, I found evidence to say this is a favorite of wedding receptions. So it was like, yeah. Dang it! Let's go back to our wedding and do this. <laughs> no. <laughs> what do you got to say on this? Uh, again, lyric lyrically of the songs that we we're talking about for Anita Baker and Anita mm-hmm. Baker. <laughs> for Anita Baker, um, this is my favorite because oh, it's. Because this is the one I tried. I had to convince you to talk about. That's true because I didn't want to talk about it anymore. Um, but it's it's because it's so ridiculous. But like I don't know, just because I, I was tired when I was again I was tired when I was doing this. But I was just like, this is so. So I highlighted a word. Uh, it's in the end of the first uh, stanza. stanza. First. First. Oh, yeah. We're not poetry. <laughs> um, and it says, this must be sweet, fatal attraction. And I was like, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of those people that, like, I know a lot of words and I know a lot of, I know a lot by, like, context clues and stuff like that. But occasionally I'll be like, do I really know what that means? So I Googled it. Fatal attraction? Yes. Definition. In interpersonal relationships, a fatal attraction is when you, the very qualities that draw one to someone eventually contri- contribute to the relationship breakup. It, it, so reading that along with all of these things was so much fun. Uh, it's I, a self-destructive I, song. I, oh my gosh. I'm gonna, yes, it is. 
there's a lot of lines that I was like, oh, I kind of want to talk about that, but I'm gonna because I brought this up, I'm just gonna talk about the the last part. Okay. Um, which is the uh, chorus for more or less. The chorus is I'm just gonna repeat it right now. Go for it. Which is um, all I know. Mm-hmm, all I know is when I'm in your arms. It feels all right. I'll hold you tight and come, and I come alive. I love you just because. I love you just because. Just because I do, my darling. Emotions more than words can help me say I love you, baby. Just I'll because you're you. you. All right. So wonderful, cute, whatever. But because we mentioned fatal attraction, I was just like, all right. But that means... That's not gonna like that's that's the worst. Like we say federal attraction, and it's just like I'm drawn to you just because, which means I'm gonna be no longer attracted to you just because. So I rewrote oh, <laughs> the no. chorus to like, all right, like this is the the breakup version, which is all I know is when I'm in your arms, it feels all wrong. I'll hold you and my heart won't beat. I don't love you just because I, I don't I, love you just because emotions more than words can help me say, I don't love you, Jerry, just because you're you. I was, oh <laughs> was going to say the, the, the two verses there where it was like, um, I don't love you. I don't love you. Right. Mm-hmm. You should have said, I don't love you. And the next one, I did love you. Oh, <laughs> yes. I'm going to, I'm going to rewrite this, this whole song. I'm just going to call it fatal attraction or <laughs> I might just call it, uh, never mind. <laughs> just slay. But, um, I just really enjoyed the song because of that. I just really enjoyed it because like the whole song is just, I just love you. Like, I don't have a reason. I just love you. But to put in the line about fatal attraction, it's just like, ooh, but that's going to go bad in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> As I say, a relationship tip, kids. Um, you should have reasons on why you're with somebody. Yeah. You should be able to come up with yeah. them. Yeah. I mean. Um, not just say just because. Because feelings are fleeting. <laughs> 100% kids. Yeah. I love my husband. You're the best. Oh, thank you. But there's sometimes where I get on his nerves. <laughs> And he gets on mine. And if it was just because, and not a lot of other stuff, we would be... She'd be out the door. I'd be out the door. He just (laughs) said my hair is his happy place. My hair's very short right now, and I'm unhappy with my hair. (laughs) Um, So some some accolades for this song. It peaked at number one on the hot black singles uh, charts. Hot black singles in your area. And also made the top 40, (laughs) peaking at number 14. Nice. Yeah, so I think it was also on like Jet magazines, like number one songs or whatever. Oh, I'd okay. never heard of Jet magazine before until <laughs> you did this. You did at one point, like, have you ever heard of Jet magazine? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. As, I, I mean, I'm a, that's white, fine. I'm a white guy. I, Jet magazine is just not, you know, never came across it. Yep. Did you ever read Jet magazine? I don't read magazines. I read books. Fair enough. <laughs> um, just another couple lines that like stood out here. Uh-huh. You can cut this if you want to or rearrange it. Just, there's a line that says, and the commitment that we share is a welcome sacrifice. What does that mean? And that comes right before this must be sweet fatal attraction. Oh, gosh. So, and the commitment that we share is a welcome sacrifice. This must be sweet fatal attraction. That's another tenet of the, the, like, classical romance, right? It's all about self, self-destruction, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the act of love is an act of self-destruction because they use like fatalistic uh, uh, terminology. Right? You are no, you know? You're no longer a bachelor. The bachelor is yeah. dead. You're no longer. It's a you, sacrifice. Yeah. 
I mean, in here, the only thing I'm love just like, love is pain. Eh. Uh, <laughs> I just like ugh, the commitment we share is a sacrifice. Well, it was like, is is the sacrifice is commitment, meaning you can't like date around because you're committed and that's the sacrifice. I'm stuck with the one. Like, I don't know. I'm just like lines like that. I'm like, I don't like it. And even like, I know we already addressed it, but emotions more than words can help me say. I just, but that's a problem, boyo. Yeah. <laughs> not wrong. How do you, how do you emote? How, what am I trying to say to you with this emotion right now? A lot of, a lot of rock eyebrow raising. Are you say you, are you trying to tell me you're going to lay the smack down? <laughs> See, this doesn't make sense. You need words. Yeah. Face emoting is not helpful. This is why this relate. I'm. Hey, Anita. I hope you're doing great. <laughs> I forgot this was a real person for a second. Oh. No, Anita's living her Be best life. Be kind, kids. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to our final song off of this final album. Final song. It's called Rules. I have very little to say about this. I. So the reason I well, one as we listen to the album, like. We were both kind of like intrigued by the lyrics of this song, right? We, I felt, and I think you agree, there was a secret to decipher when listening <laughs> to this song, because she had more to say with this song than she did all the other songs. All the other songs were basically like, "I'm in love," "Aren't you in love?" "We're in love," right? This is what love is like. <laughs> this song is something else. <laughs> What do you got? I just, no, no, no. I, I was laughing because you're cute. <laughs> and just like, I'm in love. Aren't you in love? It just felt very like, ooh, very attacky. <laughs> like, you're right. That is what it is. Um, yeah, this song was confusing, right? When listening through it, it was just kind of, for me, it, it's like, again, it's the first song on the album, right? No, it's no. the fifth. It's the, the, it's the first song on the, the, the second half. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's like... It's definitely got the most upbeat. Yeah, that's true. You listen to that a little bit. Got a little bit of brass in there. Yeah, and that's good. Like, it was like a mood changer. Yeah. It, was, it was a good way to start the second half. Yeah. Like, when you have to l- legitimately flip the album, you're starting anew. Right. And, um... Because we definitely listened to this on the on the vinyl. Like, why would we download? We have the vinyl. Um, and it helped, and- it helped set the mood, by the way. Like, drinking a glass of wine, you know, let, just just in the, you know. The little scritch scratch of the table yeah, turning. Yeah, it had, it had a, a, like, a tactile yeah. element to it. it nice. Yeah. Um, but this, it's like, when listening to it, it just kind of, like, went over my head. But looking at the lyrics, it's just so confusing. It's just like, what what are you trying to say? <laughs> what are you trying to say? Because at first it was just like, no, what are you trying to say? <laughs> I don't know. I, that was the, the last thing. I just highlighted two things in here. One thing in the very in the very last line. I just put, "What are you telling me? What is the meaning of the song?" For real though. What is the la- the last line? Doesn't she say like, "You get what I'm saying"? You better hear what I'm telling you. Is what it says. And I'm like, I don't. Uh, what? No. I, I listened to it twice. I hear it, but I don't understand. What it. are you telling me? What are you telling me? I re- I really have no notes for this because I really think Same. she's like trying to describe the rules of love. Right? It's like... But they're kind of contradictory or not really rules. Maybe that's the point. It's like, hey, there are rules in a relationship that people... It's like these unsaid rules, but we can't articulate them. Yeah, maybe... Maybe this isn't about... Maybe because I'm like looking at some of the lyrics right now. The whole album is very lovely-dovey and love-positive. Maybe this is supposed to be like a breakup, right? Like, the nights you left me are empty. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought this was about a man that she like had... 
he had overstepped his bounds or he, like, you know, uh, betrayed the trust of the relationship, right? He broke the rules. This is the fatal attraction. Mm. <laughs> this is the fatal part. This is the man that uh, he, he was no good for her. She uh, finally realized it. I see it now. That makes more sense. Like, otherwise, because... Uh, from the start, the nights you left me are empty, baby. As for the answer, they changed the past. I tried to let you explain your change of heart. How could you change your mind? Rules were made to be broken. So many hearts break the same way too. Ah, oh, honey. Ah, oh, honey. <laughs> oh, honey. I said you ain't no exception to the rule. How could they say it would be better this way without you? Yeah, yeah. It just, it gets confusing. Right. <laughs> it gets confusing. I... The only other note that I have, which is just not a friendly note, <laughs> is the very first line. I, again, I was real tired by this time, guys. The very first line is, love was meant to be loving. You're not wrong. <laughs> and I put a note, time was meant to be timing. Food was meant to be fooding. Joe was meant to be joeing. Like, what is this line? I know that dumb song that came out of you. Exactly. I drink till I'm drunk. I smoke till I smoked. <laughs> I sleep till I'm tired. wake. <laughs> Uh, I sleep till I'm rested. <laughs> yeah, like that's legit. Yeah. I was just, that's what I thought about it. Was, like, it had the same energy. Food like, is why? meant to be feeling. All right, so that's that's Anita Baker's. Uh, I'm giving you the best that I got. Um, she gave us the best yeah. that she got. Let me talk about some of the like the reviews of this album got and how well it did. So, okay. giving you the best that I got was Baker's first and only number one pop album in the U.S. Oh. It was her second number one R&B album. And it was certified three times platinum in 1989. So it sold a lot. It was a good seller. It was very, that's, that's very, very, very good. Yeah, proud of you, Anita. Um, All Music said that it's, quote, not on par with Baker's previous albums, but it is better than most of the R&B albums released in 1988. So hmm. I, I can't speak for that. I don't listen to a lot of R&B. No, you don't. You just listen to hard rock and gangster rap. Yeah. I can, it's not as good as the hard rock and gangster rap, some of the best <laughs> of that year. <laughs> Um, the Village Voice said, quote, where five years ago Baker was a soul singer who honored the traditional soul audience's lounge leanings. Now she's an arena lounge singer manufacturing generalized intimacy for 20 some, 26 to 45 year olds. Okay. I was like, mm. I mean, hey, I got to I got to throw in a negative review. Like, I think he he saw this as a pretty <clears throat> pedestrian. Yeah. Uh, by the numbers R&B record. And, uh, you know, I can understand that being a criticism of the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was just like, it is still very loungy. But it's like superficial. Mm. You can you can read it that way if yeah. you wanted to. Um, I, I have. Love is meant to be loving. <laughs> <laughs> you are priceless. Like diamonds are priceless. Diamonds have a price. Right. So uh, in 1989, giving you the best that I got, the song won Grammys for best R&B vocal performance, best rhythm and blues song, which is like just R&B, right? Yeah. <laughs> and was nominated for record of the year and song of the year. Nice. Um and because I don't know how the Grammys work, Baker received the best R&B vocal performance again in 1990 for the album itself. Uh, so yeah. she she won the same award two years in a row, one for the song, one for the album. Oh, maybe they have a retrospective. I don't know. We don't watch award shows. Either way, Gram the Grammys are weird. We talked about it when Whitney didn't win best debut or whatever. Music is weird. <laughs> yeah. And as far as the legacy is concerned for Anita Baker... Since 1988, Anita Baker has continued to release successful R&B records. Her next three albums landed on the top ten of the Billboard charts. She was nominated for ten more Grammys, winning two, 
Nice. And she received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1994. Oh. Let's go take a picture with it. Maybe. No. When we can leave and go outside. <laughs> um, she launched a farewell tour uh, in 1918. Er, 1918? My, my bad. She launched a farewell tour in 2018 and with her last concert held December 20th, 2019, she is presumed officially retired. Oh, nice. Uh if you want to just see, in time for the Rona, if you want to keep yeah. If you want to keep up with uh, with Anita Baker these days, you can just follow her on Twitter. Yeah, she's everyone's favorite, uh, you know, liberal grandma. On Twitter. <laughs> is she grandma age? Yeah, she's yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, but she's just like a sweet old lady on on Twitter. So she seems like very nice follow. If you want some positivity in your life? Hey, Anita. All right, that's that's all you got. Would you recommend uh, Anita <laughs> that's, Baker's? That's, giving, all, that's you, the, all I got. Is that the best? That I gave I you the I gave you the best that I got. <laughs> Would you recommend it? Yes, to my mother. Kids, you can listen to it. It's good. If this is your if this is your groove, yeah. 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 If you if you feel yourself saying, "Hey, I want to I want I want some chill out music and I'm sick of like lo-fi remixes on YouTube." Fair. And I want something a little bit more old school. Give Anita a try. Yeah, yeah. Put her on in the background while you're working or you're studying, whatever it is. That's a good pitch, honey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or, or hey, you know, I want to, I want to pour myself a glass of wine and just feel like a like. Because I'm legal. I want to feel like an uppity, you know, or not uppity. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> I want to feel like a fancy person. Like yes, a fancy lady. I, I want to feel like the bourgeoisie. Yeah, <laughs> give, give it a shot. And with that, we're gonna close out with the title track from the album, giving you the best that I got. We'll see you on the other side with my album of 1988. <laughs> Said I'm gonna keep on giving you the best that I got. Listen, baby, somebody understand me. Somebody give it to me. After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. Once in a while, we'll lose a viewer, or two, even though our audience loves to watch their music, hit music, they have other things to attend to. VH1, the other music television, we've got exactly what you're looking for, even if you're not watching. We're back. We're back. Coming in with the uh, the pounding riffs. We're back. We're pounding. <laughs> that was very quiet. Yeah. Let's maybe not whisper those things. Yeah. Um, we're coming in with my album of 1980. That is the song Can I Play With Madness by Iron Maiden's 1988 album, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Released April 11th, 1988. An ambitious concept album and the last album of their classic period. Seventh Son of a Seventh Son by Iron Maiden. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So this is our second Iron Maiden. Is this our first time revisiting a, a band or artist um, since we started in 1985? 
Maybe. I yeah, well, I, I would have to look it up because, um, let's be honest, we talk about a lot of this stuff. All of them run together for me. No, I'm pretty sure this is. I this, think it might this be. This is our first return. Uh, we talked about Iron Maiden in 1986 with my album of 1986, which was... Uh, Somewhere Strain- in Time. Somewhere in Time. Um, this is their follow-up to that album. Um, and it, So I'm not going to do a huge breakdown of the history of Iron Maiden because uh, you got that in our 1986 music episode. If you want to hear that, head on back. Go listen to it. Yeah. It's fun. Um, a lot more history in that one yes. than we'll be revisiting now. Exactly. So let me just quick rundown... I'll quiz Jess on what she remembers. <laughs> Iron Maiden. No. So Iron Maiden, British heavy metal band, had a string of successful and influential metal albums in the 1980s, including Number of the Beast in 1982 and Power Slave in 1984. In 1986, they released Somewhere in Time, which experimented with synthesized guitar sounds. Do you remember that? Yes. How would you describe the, the, the state of heavy metal at the time? Uh, wimpy and sell-out-y. To, and to, hair metally. To some people, that you would be correct. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about it in 1986. It, you know, it was actually it was, it was funny. I was looking at di- like different bands, like famous heavy metal bands from the 80s, mm-hmm. right? You know, like early, like late 70s, early 80s. Um, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, and Ozzy Osbourne all <clears throat> had albums released in 1986 that utilized synthesized sounds. Right. They all exper- like experimented sure. with synthesizers all at the same time, right? Mm. Now, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I like synths. I think they sound cool. And w- when used correctly, they sound great. I feel like, you know, you listen to this song and they're using synthesized guitar. It sounds different than your kind of more stripped down heavy metal, but I think it's still good. Um, some people might disagree. I think the metal purists were like... You don't have synthesizers in your metal. <laughs> Doesn't belong there. Right? Metal isn't synthesized. So the the main point is like it's these things aren't a bad thing. It just created a void for other metal bands to fill. It's like there's still a market for more stripped down traditional heavy metal, kind of that rock, like heavy, violent, you know, balls to the wall type sound. Yeah, and that's when you get your thrash metal, uh, like Megadeth. We talked about in 1985. Right, Metallica. Right, right. And then you have Guns N' Roses coming in and bringing the sleaze back <laughs> to metal and, and hard rock. Yeah. So that that's where we are. Um, Iron Maiden, on the other hand, they wanted to they they were on the same tra- trajectory. They wanted to continue to utilize synthesized instruments, mm-hmm. and that's that's where we are. They're like we're gonna do what we like. Iron Maiden returned to the studio in 1987. Steve Harris, bassist and uh, and chief songwriter, said, "Quote: It was our seventh album." And I didn't have a title for it or any ideas at all. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, I don't know. And uh, that's when Harris read Orson Scott Card's new novel. And it it had just released. It was called Seventh Son. Mm. Uh, Orson Scott Card was the guy behind uh, Ender's Game. Yeah. Um, And he felt that the legend of the seventh son of a seventh son, which is like the idea that if you are a seventh son, you have magical powers. Yep. And if you are the seventh son of a seventh son, you have even more magical powers. Um, he felt that was a fitting, like, idea for the band's seventh album. Yeah. It's their seventh album, seventh son. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Singer Bruce Dickinson played a larger role in the writing of this album, which he appreciated given that all his ideas were rejected when they were writing Somewhere in Time. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he wanted to do more acoustic stuff, and they're like, No. Bro, we're a metal band. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so Harris phoned him up and said, Hey, 
you want to co-write these songs and they would like talk on the phone and we're like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. So Bruce, this really is like a collaborative effort between Steve Harris and Bruce Dickinson. Nice. Um, to make sure each song fit the record's concept, the band drew up a basic outline of a story, which Harris states didn't make the actual writing any easier. <laughs> and I probably, I, I probably took longer over the writing I've done on this album than I've ever done before. Can we say like that's that makes sense, right? Like yeah. if I'm writing a collection of short stories that don't have to connect, I'm gonna get through those. Right. If I'm writing a novel and what I said in chapter three needs to be reconciled and what I'm saying in chapter fourteen I would agree with you if these songs connected together in any cohesive way. Oh, okay, well <laughs> I Sorry. thought they were trying to make a story. They they were. And we could talk about how effectively they did. I spoiler, I don't think they did a very good job. <laughs> um but hey, that's where we are. That's the history of Seventh Son, really. Um, we could just jump into the lyric, uh, the, the songs. Can I just say yeah. that uh, it is their seventh album. It's called Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. And there are seven songs on this album. There are eight songs. I know. I was <laughs> being facetious. Mm. Why are there eight songs on your album? Makes. I mean, I get it. it, would, it why not just make, why not just combine the last two songs? Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Maybe not the last two songs. Well, so, combine something. It's not like you're afraid of long songs. Right. They they could have combined two of these songs to make them one long song. Yeah. You could have seven tracks. I get it. Um, so what I did was I had us listen to the four, what I would consider the four strongest story songs. You listen to these four songs and you're going to get the, like, the loose outline of what the story of the album is right there are there's some others there are actually some more well-known songs that we skipped over like i I play we came in with can i play with madness um the song infinite dreams and the evil that men do are all singles from the album we're gonna skip over those goodbye um those are all great songs. no single ladies here they're all great songs go listen to them (laughs) but uh we're gonna start with the opening track from the album it's called moonchild moonchild and uh it opens with this Seven deadly sins, seven ways to win, seven holy paths to hell, and your trip begins. Seven downward slopes, seven bloodied hopes, seven are your burning fires, seven your desires. I'm gonna pause it right there. Does that not sound like a like a bard who's about to spin? That's your tail? legitimately. I was just like, I hope somebody uses this in D anD. d Like this just feels like throw a, a coin to that Witcher. <laughs> <laughs> throw, go home. <laughs> um, and then and then it, it comes in with the metal everyone's looking for. So he got his acoustic. A little bit. You can hear the electric guitar kind of. You know the the feedback kind of coming up with the distortion, whatever that is called. But um, there you go. But interestingly, other than the guitar sound, you hear that that other sound going on. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a keyboard, my friend. Yeah. Um, this is the first Iron Maiden album to feature keyboards proper. Ah. Somewhere in Tide had synthesized guitar. This is the first Iron Maiden album to have actual keyboards. And that's what you hear here. According to Dickinson, the band decided not to hire a keyboard player. Uh, so the parts recorded for the album were mainly just, quote, one finger stuff from Adrian Smith, the guitarist, Steve, the engineer, or whoever had a finger free at the time. <laughs> so I love the way he said it. it's just one finger stuff. <clears throat> it's like what I do when I play the keyboard. Just beep, 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 hunt, beep, the ki- What, that cat? Hunt and peck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> keyboard cat. And that's, uh, come in with the, the singing here. 
So any anything that stick out to you about this this song lyrically? Um, I really enjoyed that it started off like noting seven sevens. Uh, there are suddenly deadly sins, ways to win, holy paths to hell. There are seven downward slopes, bloodied hopes, and burning fires and desires. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then I don't. I just obviously it's the first song on the album called yeah. Seven Sun for Seven Sun, and that they open with just kind of this soft bardish yeah uh telling of of these things and it feels like even in the song i was like i i feel like the the speaker of the song air quotes is like supposed to be the devil oh absolutely yeah i, I have yeah the, i have the lyrics to, to prove my point yeah I, I have some of them too yeah. so just saying like it's opening up with this kind of like wastrel beckoning yeah. song about uh all these uh, since I was just like, oh, that's a that's a good way to open an album like this. Yeah, it's a bunch of, like seven uh, phenomena, mm-hmm. right? But then then the devil introduces himself, and in that he's he's kind of like the narrator of the whole album, really. Mm-hmm. Like the devil, uh, Satan, uh, explains his his position in the world, and and I don't know, just does does a few things. Um, mm-hmm. He 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 describes himself as the bornless one, the fallen angel watching you, Babylon, the scarlet whore. And I always thought he said the Skeletor when I, when I, when I first listened. <laughs> Skeletor! Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't even talk about um, like my my experiences with this album. Oh, like, yeah. What was your it. first yeah. time hearing all yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. So talk about Skeletor. I should talk about me discovering this album. Oh, there's been two He-Man references. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what's going on! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about this with Somewhere in Time in 86, but... Um, I remember like hearing a song by Iron Maiden on the radio and I thought it was really cool. So I went to school and asked my friend Mike, uh, who introduced me to a lot of the music, I said, Hey, do you have any Iron Maiden songs? You know, and, and Mike was a student of LimeWire.com. <laughs> and so he gave me a mix CD with a bunch of Iron Maiden songs, and it just so happened to have some songs from uh Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, mm. right? And I liked them, but at you know, when when you're first discovering music, you wanna like go and find like the deeper tracks right like mm-hmm. to me like fi- like downloading a full album was interesting right so yeah. when i ca- when i was looking through iron maiden's catalog i was drawn to this album because of the fact that it was a concept album that told a story right and and so that appealed to me mm-hmm. and i realize now it's because i love progressive rock yeah i love progressive metal <laughs> um and so this is probably iron maiden's most progressive album in their catalog. And I was like, that sounds cool to me. And now I know why. It's because that just happens to that's be my your, favorite genre thing. of music. Yep. So there you go. Let's let's get back into Moonchild. <laughs> and I'll talk a little bit more as we go through these songs. Mm. But yeah, um, the, dev- the devil says, uh, be the devil's own. Lucifer's my name. Yeah. Pretty much cements it right there. Yeah. I was a little confused about the story that the song was telling. So the breaking of the... Or, so it feels like... Uh, Lucifer it would like the this to be fulfilled. Like he's extolling uh, the moon child to open the seal, the seventh seal, which is supposedly what brings about like the end of times and God's reign yeah. and different things like that. And it's just like, why? Maybe he's just tired. He's th- like, yo, think, let's call this game already. <laughs> I think that was figurative, right? I think it's like, just like open the seventh seal. He's basically saying like, just 
like let let the hard times come. You know, it's mm. like give up. Don't just just let it happen. Right? Just let it happen. Yeah, it's like you you know this is a bad <laughs> idea, but you're too weak to fight it. Just let it happen. Right? Okay. So. I mentioned that the album was based on um, Seven Sun by Orson, Orson Scott Card, Card right? Um, in that book, because it's not necessarily based on the book. It's like inspired by, but not a full yeah, adaptation. Yeah, yeah. So in the book, the antagonist is a is a basically it's not Satan, but it's kind of Satan. Okay, he's called the I think the Unbeing or the Undoing. Okay, something like that, and. Um, Unbecoming, I, I can't remember. <laughs> the heartless. Yeah. So, it, it, so the, in in Iron Maiden, full Iron Maiden fashion, a full metal fashion, they just made him Satan because uh-huh. it, that's the most metal thing to do, right? Yeah. But um, I think there are some lines in this song that kind of reference things that happen in okay. the book because I went and read like a little synopsis of Seven Sun. So there's like I'm with you. You read the lyrics, you're like, what the heck is he talking about? Yeah. <laughs> he says, "Don't you dare to save your son. Kill him now and save the young ones." Be the mother of a birth strangled babe, right? And yeah. then later on he says, the twins, they are exhausted. Seven is the night. Gemini is rising as the red lips kiss the kiss the bite or whatever. And I'm like, what is he talking yeah, about? Yeah, I'm just like, what's going on? So apparently in the book, right, in order to, in order for a seventh son of a seventh son to, to be granted these, these magical powers... Mm-hmm. The line has to be unbroken, unbroken, yeah. Meaning that every son has to be alive when the seventh one is born. Oh, so that creates some like dramatic tension in the book when one of the sons is out there dying. I don't know if he's been bitten by something or he got hurt or oh. he's got an illness, right? That makes so, one of the lyrics in a different song make more sense. So one of the sons is like fighting for his life, and his parent, like his father, is trying to like make sure his. His son doesn't die before the birth of his seventh son. <laughs> I just need you to stay alive long enough for me to get the right. magic baby. So so Satan is basically saying, just let that kid die. Let him die. Let him be, you know, released oh. from, from from the the mortal throes and, oh. and give up. You know, the seventh son thing is is not yeah. I see. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Right, right, right. The, uh, an element of the song that I think is interesting. Um, is how Satan is um, portrayed, I guess, characterized, mm-hmm. right? Um, because he, this is heavy metal. Satan's got to be terrifying, right? right. Um, and the way Satan describes, like, the way he tempts and uh, really, like, affects people is kind of sinister and unsettling when he puts it. It says, Oh, yeah. And if you die by your own hand as a suicide, you shall be damned, right? That That's biblical. Mm-hmm. But if you try to save your soul, I will torment you. I will torment you. You shall not grow old with every second of passing, passing breath. You'll be so alone. Your soul will bleed to death. And it's like, man, Satan is not playing. Yeah. I legit like highlighted that line. And I just, I just put, this is the best threat. Like not right. the whole thing. Just you'll be so alone. Your soul will bleed to death. Right. Like if I was on the market and somebody hurt me, that's the line I would use. Like, I'm going to torment you for the rest of your life. You won't grow old, so you'll it'll never stop. Ugh. And you know that if you try to take your life, you're just going to come down to hell anyway. Uh, <laughs> just like, okay, this like, is this is yeah, the game. Ter- that's terrifying. I was like, that's good. That's good metal writing mm. right there. Anything else on Moonchild or should we move on? Oh, um, I just looked up the title. 
uh, or the word moonchild, because mm-hmm. I was like, well, what does it mean? We're, we're referencing it a lot. Yeah. And um, I got a definition. Officially, a moonchild is someone born under the sign of cancer from June uh, to July 22nd, but can also be someone who has so seven, a strong connection month. of uh, strong connection to the moon. Yeah, seventh month. Yeah, that, that might be related to it. Hmm. Huh. Huh. So yeah, I just thought that that was that was interesting. All right. So moving on, the next song we listened to was the title track, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Yes. And, uh, this is the most progressive song on the album. Um, spoilers: We'll be talking about progressive rock and progressive metal a little bit more moving forward as we talk about my music from each year. Um, I'll have a more conclusive definition of what progressive music is, but in kind of my layman's explanation, I would say it is dynamic. It's a like a a song that is progressive will not will not start the same way that it ends. Right. Right. Yeah, I could. It has peaks that. and valleys, and it moves. Right. I'm not talking about like your ACDC here, where every song sounds exactly the same. Mm. First chorus, verse chorus, bridge, solo chorus right there's no formula with progressive rock music right i do just want to like give a more broad definition of not progressive rock but just the the title of this track uh uh, so the seventh son of a seventh son is a concept for from folklore regarding special powers given to or held by such a son the seventh son must come from an unbroken line uh with no female siblings born between and in turn must be born uh to such a seventh son right and, and uh, this song actually portrays the birth of the seventh son, mm. right? So this is kind of the, this is the opening, the opening movement of this song, right? This is very traditional Iron Maiden. We, we talked about Iron Maiden ha- kind of having a galloping drive yeah. in beats. So you kind of hear like, doom, chuka doom, chuka doom, chuka doom. Yeah, I can hear that. Right. But then it moves on. Is there anything lyrically you want to talk about with the opening movement? Um, Yeah. I think that even in in the lyric, right? There's three at the very beginning. How it begins, and also, okay, so there's a line that says, unknowingly blessed, and uh, and as his life unfolds, slowly unveiling his power. I was just like, that's a good line to just kind of, like, it does a good job just outlining what a seventh son is, like, in one line in the song, because we just gave, like, a long definition. But it starts off saying, um, the first two lines are, here they stand, brothers them all, all the sons divided, uh, all the sons divided, they'd fall. And I just thought, uh, just kind of imagery-wise, I thought it was an interesting dynamic. Like, they're all standing together because, okay, this may not be true, but this is what I imagined because of how it it's talking about like all the brothers are there and they have to stand together or mm-hmm. else they'll fall. Um, and they are standing. They all have to be alive. <laughs> they, have to, they all have to be alive, but they're standing together because if they don't, there's no, like this is my take on the song because if they don't, there's no hope. I like the idea of them being like standing, uh, standing aside as like life affects their little brother. Like the idea of them like growing up, it's a little bit Joseph, <laughs> but um, as their younger brother like grows up and just seeing which way he'll turn whether uh the path he'll take is to good or evil you know Mm -hmm. because that's what when you go farther it talks about like what can um 
what influences uh, this seventh son. What can tempt him. What can tempt him to both good and, and bad, right? Like, because they're waiting to see which way, uh, which path there he will take because that's the way, the where the power will lie because he's the magical, powerful son. Um, and I just, like, like that. Like, that they're standing back like, all right, like, I'm not going to have a, a thought because, like, if he goes to bad, we're going to bad. We can't defeat him. He has all the power of the seventh son. If he goes to good... Even if I wanted to do bad, I'm going to go there because, like, what what are you going to do? Wait mm-hmm. for another seventh son to, do, you know, kind of. Uh, so I the just. Sequ- the sequel will be called Seventh Son versus a Seventh Son. Uh, <laughs> and um, so, yeah. So I just thought that that was really interesting. And it's also, I thought, not necessarily part, but it's just like, it also kind of states the importance of those who came before, but also have the reverence of, like, the new, the incoming. Right. So that's the opening movement, right? And then the song kind of slows down here. And this is a like very classical progressive shift in 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 like like time signature, or like kind of like the the the, the time and the, the beat of the song, um, and and just like it just comes down, right? Mm-hmm. So you can kind of hear it slowing down a little bit. And then we get this. Very uh, soft. Tri- soft, trippy. It's tense. It's still tense. Like mm-hmm. That little little snare drum thing that's going on. Or yeah. Not snare, but you know what I mean. Like the cymbal. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is very progressive. Yeah. It's very experimental. Yeah. Different, yeah. right? Um, and this is where... I always thought this was like the birth of the sun. The seventh sun. This is the moment where the sun is born. You might disagree, but I think it was up to... No, no, I think I think definitely, that for me, the first line of this portion, because there's, like, three lines in this yeah, portion, you, you four. Yeah, you will hear him say it in just a second. Today is born the seventh one. Born a woman, the seventh son. And he, in turn, the seventh son. He has the power to heal. He has the gift of the second sight. He is the chosen one. So it shall be done. <laughs> what do you got? Yeah, I think that you're right. Like it's, I think the first two lines um, are very much the birth, mm-hmm. and then, or the first line is the birth, and then um, eh, maybe the first two because you're given it, and then you get the gift of sight. <laughs> and um, I always imagine it's like it's almost like Rafiki, like you know, it's like he is born now, right? Mm-hmm. And then he's like displaying him to a congregation or something yeah. like that. Because it sounds very church Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. This sounds very dramatic and church-like. You can hear the organs and the and the keyboards playing. Uh-huh. Right? Like in the choir. He's like, you know, presenting him to a congregation and like explaining the importance of this child. It's like, he is born with yeah. second sight. He has the power to heal, right? <laughs> the power. It's yeah. It's like grandiose. That, that's what I imagine when I hear this part of the song. I agree. That's a lot of power to give to a small child. One thing that I did was I had us watch the uh, I had us watch a performance of this song live by Iron Maiden mm-hmm. because I wanted to show you the theatrics yeah. of Iron Maiden. Right, all of their shows are theatrical. Right, they they always bring out their mascot. What's mm-hmm. his name? Eddie the Ed. Eddie the Head. Um, he's a zombie type character. Yeah. They always have a giant Eddie on stage who does something, um, and they just put on a show, man. Yeah. So. During this whole section here where this where the song slows down and it's kind of creepy and dramatic, mm-hmm. they've got a giant Eddie 
that will like he like spins around and he's got like the a crystal ball in his hand mm-hmm. and it's like very mood setting mood yeah. setting the lighting and stuff like that and there are like organ uh, organ uh, pipes, pipes and like, giant gi- candles giant candles and giant like uh, icebergs like jutting out from mm-hmm. the stage and because they didn't have a proper keyboard player in the band. They actually got the bass tech to dress up like the fan of the of the opera and play keyboards on stage, like up in the rafters, past all the organ pipes. Yeah, and they called him the Phantom. <laughs> uh, it was very much, and the, and we were also talking about how um, Maharis Harris, just Harris, Harris uh, has really stable vocals. Um, oh right? no, 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 that is Bruce Dickinson. Is the Dickinson? Singer. I'm real good at names, guys. Um, yeah, like, like even in the performance, like you can hear it now, but you can hear even as you're listening to it, when you heard us play it or when you go and re listen to it yourself that like, he's hitting some notes. Oh yeah, <laughs> He's hitting some like, well, and he like, it's a lot of work going into it and you see him move on stage and stuff. And it, it sounds still very, very this similar. I think we get to the chance here, right here. Let's, let's listen to the song kind of speed back up. One, we got to get the t- guitar solo. Got a shout out to Adrian Smith and Dave Murray. Yeah, Bob Murray. Two, two of the great, <laughs> two of the greatest guitar uh, metal guitarists of all time. How long is this song? Oh, this song is like seven or eight. This minutes. song is nine minutes fifty three seconds. Oh, there is a part of the guitar solo. Let me see if I can find it. That just to me sounds very progressive in mm-hmm. the way that they do it. It's like you got the metal guitar playing, kind of like trading off with choir sounds. See where I find it. Right here. You got like choir noises trading places, you know, with with the guitar. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. It is. Yeah, this this is de- definitely very different from. Other Iron Maiden songs. Yeah. And other metal songs. Other metal, I was yeah, going to say. Yeah. It's uh, very, very progressive. Hopefully people weren't frowning at it because of it. No. <laughs> you, should, you, should, you should commend them for this. <laughs> you are commended. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about Seven Son to Seven Son? Um, I think I, I just the lyric that I, I sort of referenced earlier is it, it's after the... It's between the first and second chorus. It's just... Then they watch the progress he makes, the good and the evil, which path he takes, both of them trying to manipulate the use of his powers before it's too late, seventh son of the seventh son. And just the ongoing story of that. Um, which I just want to say, like, are we trying to connect the seventh son to Moonchild? I think so. So... Uh, this is in like the good and the evil, which path will he take? I don't think we really see the good attempting in this album to persuade him at not, all. Not really. But if we assume that he is the moon child and not the dying brother, do we think that the dying brother is the moon child? No, I think it's the, the seventh son. Is, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just trying to piece it together. But yeah, it is very, it's a very bleak album. Cause uh, yeah, you're right. Like there's really, we don't get any positive influence in the whole s- for any of the characters, really. It's like none of the characters are presented with, hey, when your son is born, he is the seventh son. Things are going to be good if he is good. It's like, no, no. You have a chance. 
Other than other than that, he has powers. Yeah. It's almost like he's the good. He's the Messiah if he chooses to do so. Or else he's the Anakin. Right. <laughs> All right, moving on here to the song The Clairvoyant, which I think is the best song in the album, to be honest. Okay. Also a very progressive song. An element of progressive music that I, I, I would say is present is the fact that the song builds on itself, right? Mm-hmm. So you can kind of hear it here. This is the, the basing of the guitar kind of starting off kind of slow, right? Doing a very simple, steady riff or beat or whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. And you got the guitar coming in here with the with the riff, right? Right. And it starts... So... Once it gets its footing, right, and it finds, like, the just the, the riff to build upon, it just builds upon it. Yeah. With new stuff. Legos. Sort of. So, anyway, <laughs> that, that's that's what I had to say musically about this song. Um, but story-wise, um, the song, this is not the first song on the album to introduce the, the fortune teller character. Mm-hmm. That's actually, I think, Infinite Dreams. Uh, so... There's, it's almost like there are two sides of the story, right? There's the father being tempted by Satan, trying to get the seventh son of the seventh son to be born, mm-hmm. or whatever. Whatever it is that's going on Whatever's there. going in the moon yeah. child. There's, on the other side of the album, that there's a character that's almost like a fortune teller, and he just ruminates on existential ideas, mm-hmm. right? And what it means to have uh, clairvoyance. Yeah. Um, and there's a conversation in the song, Can I Play With, with Madness, where like I think the main character is speaking to the fortune teller and they're kind of having this discussion or argument mm-hmm. about what it means to have the power. Yeah. It, it is what it is. But this song is about the clairvoyant and the death of that character. No spoilers. Um, I just want to say clairvoyant as a definition. I did a lot of definition looking for this one, folks. Um... A person who claims to have supernatural ability to perceive events in the future or beyond normal sensory sensory contact. This was also noted as one of the gifts of the Seventh Son. Yep. So the clairvoyant can see in the future. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, lyrically, like, do you have anything about the story of the song? Okay. So I have some stuff, but, like, it might get a little tangenty. <laughs> uh-huh. But first, non-tangenty. Uh, one, the second line in the thing, is it just... Uh, is it me or is it shadows that are dancing on the walls? And I just, A plus line. I don't know. I just really like that line, especially considering, right, like we're talking about um, a clairvoyant, someone who can see beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of the, the thought, uh, just the thought of just like what that means for somebody who can see the future. Like, is that me moving? Is that me in truth or is that a possible future yeah it's just a really good line like it's just re- i really i really like it good job maharis if you're thinking of this as a character that's in his dying days right this is mm-hmm. this is the a fortune teller who is in the throes of death right like maybe he's even more unsure about what the future is and he, you know it's like all these visions that i see is am i am i am i dying are these like a fever dream or are these mm. still visions of the future that i see yeah, I wonder if you can foresee a second life. Whoa, that's that's a line. That's literally a line at the bottom. At yeah. the end of the song, it says, I feel reborn again. Actually, my lyric says, I fell reborn again. And I was like, I feel reborn again. <laughs> and that kind of like, that's an interesting take on it as well, right? This clairvoyant, adding like clairvoyancy to uh, past and present lives, mm. uh, past and future lives. That's such an interesting, like, I'm like, oh, yeah. Hmm. I think there's a book 
that's something like that uh or several books like that i just haven't read them uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I specifically remember a title of a book like the nine lives of chloe cat something like that i, no I, I don't know anyway madam chloe I, I think they turned it into a tv show too but whatever just the idea that you can like like oh which lifetime am i seeing is it in this one is it not in this one but a line that i really liked in here um is is this a vision or normality i see before my eyes i wonder why i wonder how that it seems the power's getting stronger every day and it just made me think like think of it like when, because I feel like when we think about, oh, that's so interesting, having the power to see the future, but like actively thinking, not just like, oh, how is this going to mess up my life? I may say something too earlier, but just like not being able to. It feels a little bit of what I feel like the media um, depicts as schizophrenia. Well, I mean, I, I so I just recently watched the the Watchmen movie mm -hmm. um, and uh, Mr. Not Mr. I was there for some of that. What's that guy's name? Mr. Fantastic. No, Mr. Manhattan. Mm. Also, Doctor Manhattan. Doctor Manhattan also has like visions of the future and of the past. I think he like he, he's like almost like omniscient, right? Right. But it's the way they present it. It seems like he's constantly like distracted by it, right? So yeah. He, and, and as like characters remark, like the longer he's like the longer he's alive, the less like interested in interested in the physical world that he is because he just sees all things right? yeah that so makes sense to him it's just like this like passing world that's like around him is just not as important mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I could see that yeah and Inter I interesting ideas in this song yeah for sure. this is probably i think that i agree when you were like this is one of my favorite songs on the album i was like is it and i was like yeah it has a lot to say a lot of like really interesting things to say and it's great musically yeah I will say one line. It says, uh, see the truth and, uh, in through your mind, see the truth and see your lies. And I was like, those are two different things. Mm. Clairvoyance does not mean that you are a lie detector. Get it straight. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> um, so something interesting about this song, I don't know if you caught it, but the first two verses are sung in the first person from the point of view of the clairvoyant. Mm. The last verse is in the third person depicting the basically explaining the death of the character oh i so did not let me catch see if that. i can find that third verse right here. he could see the vision oh For all his power, he couldn't, couldn't see, see his, his own, own demise. demise. So the okay, I was looking up like the inspiration for this song. Mm -hmm. um, so Steve Harris said that the song's lyrics were inspi inspired by the death of psychic Doris Stokes. Oh, um, after which he wondered to himself whether she could foresee her own death. Right. Hmm. So the 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 conclusion that this song makes is no, he could not, or mm -hmm. it still leaves that question unanswered. Right. right. No, no, that answers it. Like, he couldn't see his own... He couldn't foresee his own demise, yeah. right? So it's, like, this very bleak depiction of this, like, all-seeing clairvoyant, right? Who is, like, by the days getting even more power, right? Mm -hmm. But in all that power, when he, he dies, that's... He didn't see it coming. Yeah. So, interesting. Yeah, it is. It's just... Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> 
It's like one of those deep rabbit holes where it's just kind of like, how much do you want to see? Like, you wouldn't want to. Like, because you would just spend your whole life fearing and not... That's uh, Big Fish by... uh... The movie Big Fish. Never seen it. Directed by uh, Tim Burton. I'm pretty sure that that deals with it, like Aww. seeing the day you die and like how much does that affect the rest of your life. I always get Big Fish mixed up with Secondhand Lions. I have seen Secondhand Lions. I don't know what that is. What? We need to have a uh, a movie night where we both watch where we watch these movies. Okay. Uh. Anyway. That's all I got for the clairvoyant. Um, yeah. I I do remember my friend Stephen. Uh, this was his favorite Iron Maiden song. And he insisted that I go and find it and listen to it and download it. And I did. And I was never disappointed. Good job, Steven. You're not a disappointment. <laughs> Unlike Mike, who keeps trying to woo my husband with mixtapes anyway, so in we're gonna, the past. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to close out this uh, section here with the last song on the album, Only the Good Die Young. <laughs> Talk about downers of an ending. Right? I don't have a whole lot to say other than the last verse. What do you got on lyrics for this song? Uh, it, it, re- a return to Satan. I will say that. This is Satan uh, I think fit, I wrapping never, up the story for us. I think I never want to hear A return to Satan. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, please. Um, the demon you're... The, what's the opening line? I'm not going to say the word because triggers. Oh, okay. But uh, I actually did highlight the first line because I was like, again, that's very evocative. The demon, uh, the demon in your mind will take you tonight in your, will take you in your bed tonight. There's just the thought of, (laughs) it makes me think of very much if anyone has ever had trouble sleeping because your mind won't stop. And Mm -hmm. then like intrusive repeating thoughts. And it's just kind of like, you're lying there. And it's just like those thoughts. But imagine if those thoughts were brought on by Satan. As a way to torment you. How about I don't imagine that? <laughs> How about that? I already had a rough time sleeping for the last two nights. But yeah, it's also interesting that it, the line that follows it is, The wisdom of ages, the lies and outrage concealed. Uh, time, it waits for no man. Just kind of the thought, like, the thoughts that are in your mind are about everything. Oh, could you imagine just having the... Like, you know when you wake up and you're like, oh, I had a thought, and you don't catch it? Could yeah. you That would be the worst. That, Satan, would be the worst. Where it's just like, I'm going to whisper all the wisdom you'll ever need. But as you wake up, it will slip away, and the only thing you'll remember is a snowman donut. I tell you, that's what I'm saying. Like, Iron Maiden does a good job of, like, pre- presenting the just the evils of the devil and the threat of the, you know, Satan, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the ways he can tempt you, or like the way they present him is really terrifying yeah it's like a horror story that, that's good metal right you there oh so rude I, I i guess the question is like so satan's finishing off the story and he is still tormenting his subject whether it be the seventh son or the moon child yeah, yeah the, the seventh son or the, or the, clairvo- seventh, or the clairvoyant well the clairvoyant's <laughs> dead but seventh son the seventh son of be- the seventh son right does that mean that they chose uh the wrong path right well, it depends on how you do, how you, if you decide that faith, your thoughts on fate and um, predecided things. Because then, no, they chose right. They were always going to choose this path. It's we got to we got to ask the uh, the the clairvoyant, but the clairvoyant's dead and being tortured in hell with the devil. Uh, <laughs> we don't know where the clairvoyant went. <laughs> um, in this story, we do. The clairvoyant was reborn. So, you know, he just skipped go, didn't <laughs> didn't collect $200 in either place. Yeah. <laughs> the book of life is silent. 
no turning back. Only the good die young. Oof. <laughs> the Book of Light is Life is Silent is such a like. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's so the Book of Life like like the, the word of God is silent. I prevailed because I'm. <laughs> I don't want to live in this world. <laughs> no, I uh, the even the title of the song right in the chorus. Like, let me get a little bit of the chorus here. Right here. Only the good die young. So, all, all, only the good die young, all the evils tends to live forever. And it's like, yeah, man, it does feel that way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, man, it does. <laughs> it's just like, the, these songs, I feel like, just have a whole lot of, like, existential, like, truths or, or like, anxieties about yeah. the world. It's like, man, yeah, it really does feel like all the yeah. all the, the good die young and all the evil tends to live forever. It's like, it's the same evil every day. Yeah... Yeah, it's rough. <laughs> it's rough, buddy. <laughs> um, and then I, I highlighted the last verse there. Yeah, the, uh, the coming, the how we. I, I, I did too. Go ahead. I was like, this is how. This is these are the lyrics that the 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 album, the song, the album, and the song end on. Measure your cup, and does it measure up to your lust? Have a good sin. <laughs> That's it. It's like those are his parting words. Hey, 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 I think I'll leave you. Have a good sin. <laughs> Until the next time. And I'm like, hmm. It's good stuff. Yeah. Like, in a, in a terrifying kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, the song, the, the album does end the same way it begins with, like, the seven deadly sins. Yeah. So I uh, really... Because in um, turn with how we were talking about, right, the idea of faith and predeterminism, it feels very like, it's secular, it's a closed circle, right? We start as yes. we begin, we start again, at, like even the devil's parting circle, words are like, like the moon. until we meet again, have a good sin, here are the seven deadly sins, and then we start at the beginning with all of our sins again, and it's just a never-ending, repeating cycle of uh, evil. <laughs> yep. I think and that's, that's the album. That's that's the, the the main theme of the album. It's like, hey, we can fight through this thing and this like you know have these deep existential thoughts, but the truth is that evil prevails in this world <laughs> over us. The uh, '80s were a hard time. Reaganomics yeah. had failed us. <laughs> well, I mean, these were British guys, so oh. Thatcherism failed them. Well, but either way, it's like you know, it's, I, it's, it's a really strong metal sentiment. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's smart. As in sharp? Yeah. They had a lot to say. Yeah. And it, it, it's really good. Really good. As a story, would you say that this album presented its story no. cohesively and effectively? No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I had like, we, we chose the four songs that we we're going to talk about, so I didn't go back and read the, the all The other songs again. have very little to do with the story. Okay, then, even less than do with these songs. Then no. Ugh, I yeah. think that we were, we were picking them out. We're like, okay, how does this... How? Yeah. How does it relate? I think the through line was Satan. That That's really... I think, like, the album, its biggest strength is, like, in its existential ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, the ex exploration of themes, life and death. And uh, just general anxiety. Right. <laughs> all, all that stuff. Um, but the actual piecing together of a narrative, not as strong. They are not strong. And authors. they did not disagree. Uh, speaking about the record late, uh, years later... 
Bruce Dickinson remarked that, quote, we almost did something great. <laughs> it was only half a concept album. There was no attempt to see it all the way through, like we really should have done. Seventh Son has no story. It's about good and evil, heaven and hell, but isn't every Iron Maiden record? And I was and, like, I was like, yeah, he yeah. has the same appraisal that I would give. Hmm. The story is just kind of like hit and miss. It's kind of confusing. It's more about concepts than it is about story. Yeah. It's not a rock opera. Rock opera. It's, it's, it's a concept album. Yeah. Which is like, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's just not not uh, not a story. It's, yeah. And it, that's that's the thing. It's like, if you go in listening to it, like, know that. But mm-hmm. Was there any other uh, reception? Yeah, I got reception for you. So... Seventh Son of a Seventh Son debuted at number one in the UK albums chart, their first since 1982, as well as as number 12 in the US. It spawned three top 10 singles in the UK. Steve Harris was salty about the performance in the US, (laughs) saying, quote, I thought it was the best album we did since Peace of Mind, which uh, was before Power Slave in 84. Um, I loved it because it was more progressive. I thought the keyboards really fitted in brilliantly. Because that's the influences I grew up with. And I was so pissed off with the Americans because they didn't really seem to accept it. Everyone said afterwards that it was a European sounding album. I'm not so sure about that. I apologize for Americans. I agree. Yeah. I like, Harris, I, I love this album. Give Americans a chance. <laughs> um, according to Kerrang! Magazine, contemporary reviews contain, quote, a definite reaction against Iron Maiden emphasizing their prog rock p- pretensions. And that, quote, one critic slammed Maiden for Seventh Son and accused them of having regressed into a Genesis-style prog rockers from the 70s. And wow. I was like, they didn't go that far. But also, what's wrong with Genesis? <laughs> what indeed? No, I like Genesis. Yeah. I know one Genesis song. <laughs> you like Phil Collins? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> That's the one Genesis song. No, either song. way. I'm like, hey, I, I applaud Iron Maiden for branching out into the yeah. Genesis-style prog rockers of the 70s. Don't let anybody yuck your yum. Yeah, exactly. And if, if you want something harder-edged, go look, go grab something else. The, yeah. the, the void's getting filled up now in the late 80s. Mm. Um, Sputnik Music said that though, quote, the band has better releases such as Power Slave and Somewhere in Time. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in Time is not as good as this one. Uh, they argue that lyrically it is one of Maiden's finest efforts. Nice. And I agree with that too. I agree. We had a lot to, I had a lot more to say about it than I, I typically do. Yeah. Um, and in 2005, this album was ranked number 305 on Rock Hard Magazine's The 500 Greatest Rock and Metal Albums of All Time. So, oh. it's pretty cool. Oh, and it was Loudwire's, uh, number, it was number 11 on Loudwire's, uh, top 25 progressive metal albums of all time, too. So, Whoa. if you want a good introduction at a, uh, into progressive metal, this is it. It's not as, you know, it's not like the meat and potatoes of, of progressive metal. I feel it's like more it, the tomato soup and cheese sandwich. Yeah, it's 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 a little easier <laughs> to listen to and take than like the more the most progressive of progressive metal. Mm. Spoilers: This is going to be our last time talking about Iron Maiden, so I, I'm going to have to kind of run down some of their their legacy since then, the oh. legacy of the beast, if you will. Wow. Um, as mentioned earlier, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son was the last of Maiden's classic period, and the last to feature the classic lineup uh, until the year 2000. So, the band consciously went through a more stripped-down, edgier sound for the next two records, mm-hmm. right? and I think they were kind of following suit with where some of the more 
tradition, like, you know, some of the more uh, mainstream rock acts were going, right? Mm-hmm. Your Guns N' Roses and what have you. Um, guitarist Adrian Smith wasn't happy about that, saying he thought they were heading in the right direction with the last two albums and that he thought they needed to keep moving forward and just didn't feel like that, that was where they were going. So, yeah, just so, felt like a role reversal. Yep, so he he, he jumped out of there. Mm. So Adrian Smith was gone. And uh, the 90s weren't too kind for Iron Maiden. <laughs> uh, singer Bruce Dickinson left the band in 1993. Can you imagine that? Can I, I imagine? Iron Maiden without that singer. Oh, it's different. Like, when you think of Iron Maiden, you think of that, like, operatic yeah. voice of, of Bruce Dickinson. Um, no, he was replaced by competent, but not as impressive, Blaze Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me. Is that, is that that's your? Me. That's okay. me. Yeah, that's my description. <laughs> Blaze Bailey, he's not a bad singer, but he's no Bruce Dickinson. Aww. Um, and their next two albums were not hits at all. <laughs> mm. Yeah, those are not well regarded. They have some good songs on there, but, like, they're not. They're not. Yeah. They're, they're just not. <laughs> but in the year 2000, Bruce Dickinson and Adrian Smith returned to the band, essentially setting off a career renaissance. Their albums since have been consistently well-received, and they have been lauded for appealing to a wide array of fans. Yeah. I remember going to see Iron Maiden in 2010, and you could see kids like at age five all the way to like grandpas. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Iron Maiden is like a band for everybody. Oh, that's nice. Are our kids going to be maidens? Maybe. <laughs> hey, and Iron Maiden actually won their first Emmy. Sorry, they won their first Grammy in 2011. Oh, go Iron, go Iron, go Iron. <laughs> and that's it. That's all we got for uh, music of 1988. But wait, there's more. Is there more? We gotta talk about uh, uh, album covers. Oh yeah, I for- I always forget about that. Yeah, so we talked about it before. You can listen to a music album. And that's one way to appraise its quality. But another way is the album cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got both covers here, um, and I'll, I'll give you this one, and you can tell me which. So we're going to start with Anita Baker. Okay. Giving you the best what I got. Can you describe that album cover for us? Um, uh, Mistress Anita is, that is a very big ring on her finger. I mean, she, I, just, she did just get engaged. That was, good job, my guy. <laughs> she is um, leaning on a... Fountain? Fountain of some sort. There's no water in it. It's very close up. Uh, with three pillars behind her. And she is in a blue, a shiny blue, I think it might be satin dress with a coat um, that has all the shoulder pads yeah, and flower patterns. She, she's got the 80 shoulder pads for days. She, she's got a big old diamond ring, some nice earrings. She's just staring off into the distance, not looking at us. Her eyes are squinty. There might be sun. It's a very classy title. It's very, uh, classy, it's a very, it's very classy. Classy album cover. Uh, it's just Anita looking uh, thoughtful, contemplative yes. on, on this album. Contemplative. Know? Like you look contemplative. at this. I can, I can understand you looking at this album and say, yes, that's an album for my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Mama, I love you. Um, and so moving on to Iron Maiden's album. So Seven Son of a Seven Son, you got that one pulled up? Yes. Um, we, very different. Very different. I mean, there's blue. There's blue. <laughs> it is a, um, gosh, there. it's an icy ocean with uh it's like glaciers arctic. it's yeah. an arctic like yeah arctic sea 
That's the the. Are the, these the glaciers setting. or the icebergs? Icebergs. Icebergs, because they're not on land, uh, and they're just icebergs popping all out of the background. And in the foreground, we have Eddie. Yep. So every Iron Maiden album features Eddie the mascot. He, he's usually presented as a zombie type character, but he always fits in with the theme of the album. So. Somewhere in Time was the album we talked about in 1986. He was like a cyborg, right? In like a futuristic city. Mm-hmm. Um, in Power Slave, he is like an Egyptian uh, monument. Right. Yes, like a sphinx. Can you describe him in this one? Um, he is just an upper body with musculature. <laughs> Holding his guts in one hand. That's not guts. That's a uterus. Oh, dear. He's holding his uterus. It's, it's a gut. <laughs> it's a piece of a gut. Yep, and his spinal cord has been cut off, and it's kind of like he's floating. Floating in the Arctic Sea. Yeah, and he just looks. And there's a moon above him with, like, lamps. And his head is on fire. And his head is on fire. Um, Bruce Dickinson said he wanted he wanted his head on fire because the album dealt with prophecy and uh... seeing to the future. This album cover was drawn by longtime Maiden collaborator Derek Riggs. Uh, according to the band's manager, the brief given to Riggs was to create, quote, something surreal and, surreal and bloody weird. <laughs> so he, they were just like, hey, man, draw something weird. He's like, okay. So they told him that the, the, the album was dealing with, like, you know, clairvoyance, seeing to the mm-hmm. future, uh, second sight, that kind of thing. So he was just like... Arctic? <laughs> okay. I don't know. Like, hey, I'm going to draw this weird character um, that's floating in the sea. Uh, he said he might have just seen a documentary about the North Pole or something. I wanted <laughs> to do something that was a departure from all the cityscapes and things. It was about prophecy and seeing the future, so I just wanted to do something distant and far away. That has the energy of the Michael Bolton lo- Lonely, Idol- oh, Lonely Island sketch. We're just like, I wrote a really good hook. But also, I watched Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> this is the tale! So that's how sometimes good art happens, you know? It's like, uh, hey, you're watching something and you're inspired. So he just wanted to do something distant and far away. The Arctic Circle seems distant and far away. He's got this very surreal, like, just kind of just disgusting character. Yeah. Eddie is like, de- he's already a decomposing zombie. Yeah. But he's cut in half, holding a uterus. I don't like it. His face is disfigured. Um, he's got he's got a goatee. That's what really throws it off for me. <laughs> and so, um, I was reading the Wikipedia article, and they described the like the stories behind this album cover as contradictory. Mm. And I was like, this is no, 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 no. This is not contradictory. This makes complete sense. So <laughs> he came up. He talked about the the, the documentary idea, right? I mean, mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I might have seen like a the North Pole documentary or something. And then and then he goes on to say. And then they said on the back, could you stick all the other Eddies in the ice? So uh, I did, right? So you look at the back yeah. the back cover of the album, what do you see? A lot of Eddies in ice. I was wondering, because I was like, some of this looks familiar. Like the uh, that guy with the chains. I don't know which album that's from. Yeah, so that's the Eddie from uh, Number of the Beast, where he's like kind of, he's like the puppet master. He's I don't Eddie. feel like we listened to that one. We did not. Why do, do you have a shirt? I might. Okay, because I was like, he looks familiar. Yeah, that, that's an iconic Eddie image from the okay. Number of the Beast album. But yeah, so those are all the different Eddies from previous album covers, right? Okay, but what's this? What is that That goose rocket ship that just eating? Looks like, that just looks like like Mother Earth down there or something. Again, it's surreal. No, the... the, the the duck chasing oh, yeah, it's a, it's the a, duck chasing the rocket goose, duck. It's a goose spaceship. Got it. 
Okay, that's, <laughs> that's what I thought I've it was. I've never seen that before in my and life. And it's like chasing after a bonefish. It's surreal. <laughs> Either way, it's, it looks like the, you know, like the, the flat earth or something. Oh, yeah. But anyway, so um, Bruce Dickinson said that he had the idea of painting in a polar landscape when he showed um, Riggs a Gustave Doré piece depicting traitors frozen in the lake of ice from the ninth circle of Dante's Inferno. So my idea, from all of this information, I don't think these contradict each other. I bet Riggs, you know, painted the picture of the, like, you know, the the, The the North Pole, um, the Arctic Circle. And then Dickinson is like, oh, that's really cool. That reminds me of Dante Inferno's Ninth Circle of Hell, Mm -hmm. where where traitors are, are frozen in ice. Maybe you should also, like, paint all the eddies in ice. Mm. And so he did. So it sounds like a collaborative process yeah. to me. Which, uh, which album cover is better? Um, I don't know that I can call it, because I, I don't like <laughs> Iron Maidens. Is it, like, better, quote-unquote? Oh, no, man. I think... So here's the thing. Like, aesthetically, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son is... An ugly it's album. It's unpleasing. It's unpleasing to the eye, but I think it's also bold and does a better job of selling what this album is than Anita Baker's. I mean, yeah. Anita's is, is classy. It's it's nice. It's very you can, loud. You can hang that up on the wall. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> I I think I like Iron Man's better. I, I think mean, just, because, just because it's so weird and bold. I like the back better. I don't like the front. I don't like it at all. I get it. It is bold. I'm not saying it's not. I prefer the boldness of the backside. I don't I don't like the utero holding. <laughs> so are you going to go with Anita? No, I'm going to go with Iron Metal. Okay, Ma- Maiden. Cool. But I am going to speci- specifically say the back cover. The back cover. <laughs> Fair enough. And who had the better album overall? You did. Yeah! That's my, that's my first win. Music, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, for music it is. Yeah, I'm okay with it. Um, yeah, Anita Baker's good, but it's just so disposable. Yeah, honestly, it's like it's you so listen to it, and you're like, you're fine while it's there, but then as soon as you don't listen to it, as soon as the album's over, you're like all gone. You know, yeah. in out in one ear, out the other. It's like strawberry ice cream. All right. It's like one of those things where I'm like, there's a flavor, but I forget it as soon as I'm done eating it. I got that's the best way to describe it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what, what's up? What else we got? Um. Okay. So, well, our winner is Rod. Uh, we will give that to him. We love him. Runners up. Let's talk runners up. All right. So, uh, for 1988, uh, your runners up. <laughs> I love that my phone auto corrects stuff when I. So we listen to Iron Mason, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, so your first runner-up was NWA Straight Outta Compton. <laughs> That's weird. Is it? I mean, it's just such a departure from, from Iron Maiden, but no, I, yeah. Yeah. Straight Outta Compton's a great album. Uh, I love gangster rap. Yeah. Hey man, I love progressive metal and gangster rap. He's Come at me. Not joking. I don't, here's, here's an enigma. I love you just because. <laughs> uh, and then it was Metallica's, uh, Injustice for All. Also a great metal album. And Gun. Guns and Roses, Guns and Roses Lies. GNR Lies. GNR Lies. Yeah, that was their EP follow-up to Appetite for Destruction. It was half covers, cover songs, mm-hmm. right? And half acoustic jams. Yeah, And uh, there's one song people should seek out. It's called I Used to Love Her. It is a song about a man 
who uh, got so sick of his girlfriend that he murdered her. <laughs> and, and I definitely her. feel like I listened yeah, oh, yeah, to that. Oh, yeah, you've heard it. Uh, buried yeah, her right in the backyard. Oh, jeez. What are your runners-up? Uh, well, actually, I want to know of those, what would have been your first runner-up? NWA, Metallica, or Guns uh, N' Roses? Probably GNR Lies, mm. fo- followed by Straight Outta Compton, followed by Metallica. Because I have not heard every song. Like, I have not, like consistently re-listen to all the songs on And Justice For All. Yeah. It's a good album, but there are some weak songs on there, in my opinion. Okay. Um, for me, guys, I don't, I don't listen to music. From so, the from, So my runner-up was Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, It Takes Two. It takes two to make a thing go right. And that's literally the only song I heard <laughs> off of that album. All right. We went through... That's the only song I've heard off that album. Yep. And Billy Ocean's Tear Down These Walls. I don't even know what song off of that album. Get out of my dreams. That's the one. Into my car. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Mm-hmm. That's the one. And Bobby's Brown's Don't Be Cruel. Poison is on that? No. What is that one? I don't know. My prerogative? Maybe. Maybe. I feel like that's the only Bobby Brown song. Either way, I know. it's like the, the running theme is you've heard one song from all of these albums and that's it. <laughs> and that's it. Anita Baker, if if I had not bought this album for my mom, we would have had to flip a coin because the only other albums I heard from that year, I've only heard one song from each, and I was just gonna have to roll a D eight and figure it out. Like Ugh Ugh <laughs> But yeah, so this has been fun. It has been fun. Yeah. Did you, you enjoyed yourself? I sure did. You enjoyed winning this one? I did. And, uh, you know, I, I have even more respect for, for Iron Maiden even going through and talking about the lyrics and everything. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of fun stuff in there. A lot yeah. of, like, fodder for uh, writing something. I want another did. glass. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I have a slight headache. <laughs> so mm. I'm going to take some headache begones. We got plugs, right? Oh, we do have plugs. Hair plugs. So, um, if you like the show, be sure to, you know, subscribe on your podcast machine. We are on iTunes. Wherever we are. Yeah, iTunes, Podbean. Podcast Academy. Yeah, all those podcasting, (laughs) all those podcasting where your great podcasts are sold. Leave us a review if you can. iTunes reviews really help us with uh, visibility. Five-star reviews. Very welcome. We appreciate (laughs) it. Um, And uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can at Media Made Show. Uh, where we'll have updates on uh, the goings-on. Yeah, and definitely if you uh, liked anything in here or we said something that was quotable, please don't. Probably I... got some polls up there telling, asking people who you think won. Yeah, that's true. Come and visit with us. And you can tell us what your album of 1988 would have been. You oh, know? gosh. Was it Rob Bass in Easy Rock? Also, tell me how long it took you to go through that whole list. I want to know how much time you spent in that list. Yeah. <laughs> and, and was it straight out of content? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... If you want to hear more from me, um, I, one, have a wrestling show on YouTube called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. We're a wrestling show. We explore uh, the careers and characters of our favorite wrestlers. We're looking at Eddie Guerrero right now. Uh, look out for that if that's your thing. If you like video games, I write for a website called ZeldaDungeon.net. We talk all about Le- The Legend of Zelda and other Nintendo games. So that's yeah. the thing. Um, and you can check me out on Twitter personally at RobTheMaster. Yeah. Um, For me, if you want to hear more from me in a completely different setting, I have a YouTube called Taming Tales on YouTube, obviously, because that was in the title of the thing that I said, uh, where I tell stories and I uh, put them to video and sometimes I put fake art on there. (laughs) And honestly, 
feel like it because I'm just kind of like, this is a place for me to do things. So if you would like to see me do things, that sounded ominous. Go there. Go there. Click on over to Taming Tales. Subscribe if you want to, or don't, or do. <laughs> with that, we're going to close out. We'll see you next time. We're going to close out with uh, the ending of uh, Only the Good Die Young. All right. Have a good sin. <laughs> Be good. Don't die young. Yeah. And uh, with that, thank you. Goodbye. Night, kids. Slopes, seven bloodied hopes, seven are your burning fires, seven your desires.